going to talk about the VDR receptor. It's one of the family of nuclear receptors, uh, which includes the glucocorticoid receptor, the thyroid receptors, a number of other very important receptors. Um, I just want to point out this uh, statement from FDA Commissioner von Eschenbach to Congress two years ago, pointing out that new scientific discoveries are generating an emergent science of safety where the new science combines an understanding of disease and its origins at the molecular level. That's what I'm going to talk about in this presentation, understanding autoimmune uh, disease uh, pathogenesis at the molecular level. <clears throat> there are three types of biology uh, in uh, common use today, uh, in vivo, in vitro, and the newer in silico. The first time I came across in silico uh, biology was uh, back in uh, 1981. This is a uh, photograph of myself and my colleagues at the Hospital for Sick Kids back in 1981, um, which was when IBM showed us the uh, in silico techniques that they had used for the synthesis of the first human insulin, the humulin, the first human insulin. That was the first time I came across in silico and realized the power of being able to emulate the operation of the human body at the level of individual atoms. Since then, the in silico work that I think everybody is most familiar with is the decoding of the human genome. Um, and probably more important now, um, but uh, less well known, is the decoding of around 740 microbial genomes that have been fully decoded to this point in time. And in fact, NIH has just started a big human microbiome project with the idea that they want to, to characterize all the DNA that's available from human sources, all the DNA in the human body, uh, the normal infectious areas we're aware of, the nasal, oral, skin, GI and neurogenital cavities, but also uh, within the cells of the body itself. Because NIH has estimated that around 10% of the total cells in the human body are human cells, and as many as 90% of the cells could be bacterial cells. You'll be hearing a lot about the Human Microbiome Project over the next decade. Well, why is that important? Well, it's important because the bacterial cells, in many cases, perform functions that are very similar to those of the Homo sapiens itself, of the host. And what I've got here is a slide showing the E. coli glucose metabolism. And I know very few of you are going to be able to uh, follow every uh, subtlety of it. Don't worry, uh, I, I just want to uh, show you that this uh, chart exists. Uh, I got this one from uh, VJ at Bielefeld University in, in Germany. Um, but it shows the, uh, the way that the bacteria, E. coli, uh, gets from uh, glucose 6P substrate down to pyruvate and produce the, the serine, cysteine, glycine, um, amino acids, the uh, purine nucleotides, adenine, um, the tyrosine, phenylalanine, tryptophan, um, all of these are produced by bacterial genes, uh, actually by proteins that are transcribed from bacterial genes, but the, the bacterium itself, the organism itself, is capable of working on exactly the same metabolites as uh, 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 used in the human body for the production of energy, and it produces very similar um, intermediates. You've got fructose 6-phosphate here, uh, you've got glyceraldehyde, um, uh, glycerate, 
um, many of these um, um, intermediate uh, metabolites are very common to people who study, very familiar to people who study the human genome. So if you've got the bacterial genomes working in the same environment, within the same cells, in fact, infected cells, uh, as the human genome and the human body, you can imagine the amount of interference um, between the uh, operation of the two of them. And that's exactly what we have found. We have characterized that, that there is an intraphagocytic met metagenomic microbiota, metagenomic many genomes, microbiota, community of pathogens. Intraphagocytic, it does its most, most of its harm inside the phagocytes, the lymphocytes, the macrophages, monocytes of the immune system. And we've shown it to be the cause of most chronic disease. The genomes accumulate gradually during life, incrementally shutting down the innate immune system. They shut down the innate immune system incrementally during life. Genes from the accumulated metagenome determine the clinical disease symptomatology. Depending on what genes are accumulated in the metagenome, that determines which effects they're going to have on the body, which of the metabolites of the human body are going to be affected by the pathogenic genomes. The microbiota is located in the cytoplasm of nucleated cells where it has access to both the DNA gene transcription and the protein translation machinery of Homo sapiens. In addition, the host DNA repair mechanisms are susceptible to modification by junk from the metagenome. That's very, very important, that because it's located in the cytoplasm, the uh, microbiota can upset the host DNA repair mechanisms. At the Congress uh, in 2004 in Budapest, uh, I reported that sarcoidosis had succumbed to uh, an antibacterial therapy that we had developed. And over the last six years, uh, our cohort of over 500 human subjects has demonstrated reversibility of many autoimmune diagnoses. Reversibility, including lupus, MS, RA, type 2 diabetes, and uveitis. My colleagues will give details of this later in this session. But surprisingly, as the chronic inflammation receded, CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, osteoporosis, periodontal disease, cardiovascular disease, cognitive deficiencies, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar, memory loss, all of these also disappeared as the chronic inflammatory condition disappeared. Well, what do these microbiota look like? Uh, here is a monocyte an infected monocyte, and the cytoplasm has effectively exploded from uh, pressure of the pathogens and is throwing out these tiny um, uh, biofilm tubules. I'm not quite sure why it's not showing up perfectly, but you can see here there's probably a dozen tiny biofilm film tubules that are very long, uh, and they're also extremely small. You can compare them with the size of the cell, the standard cell diameter there um, of uh, four or five microns or so, and extremely tiny little um, uh, biofilm polymer tubules are thrown out uh, as the cell disintegrates. This is untreated blood, this is uh, human blood put between uh, cover slips 
and allowed to age for six to 36 hours. Look at the length of these. This is about 20 cell diameters long. This one's about 10 cell diameters long. Uh, it's amazing, and you can see them very easily under, micro, uh, under light microscopy if you're looking for them. Under the um, electron microscope, they look a little bit different, of course, because you can actually look at them in the cells before, the, uh, before they become heavily parasitized. This is uh, an image from the uh, Wirosco, Emu Wirosco uh, TEM study in 1989 at Columbia University. This is a juvenile rheumatoid arthritis lymphocyte. Um, and um, what we have is you have the nucleus area of the lymphocyte and then the cytoplasmic region outside the nucleus. And in the cytoplasmic uh, region there is a uh, staining uh, artifact which is basically a nucleic uh, material, DNA material, uh, inside uh, some form of uh, transparent uh, biofilm type of protection and then a very thin uh, exoskeleton to contain the whole lot. But what's even more interesting are these tiny uh, little elongated um, structures which don't come up all that well on the projection here but when you look up the original paper um, which was uh, JRI inflammatory eye disease parasitization of ocular leukocytes by molecule like organisms from uh, 1989 when you look at the original photographs you can see the incredible detail of these um, uh, transparent uh, uh, colonies that are living inside these lymphocytes. Of course the lymphocyte should never allow this to happen but it does allow it to happen because these microbiota have figured out how to overcome innate immunity. They've overcome the last line of defense. Well how does it do that? In Homo sapiens the VDR nuclear receptor transcribes genes for the catholicidin beta defense and antimicrobial peptides. It's also involved in expression of the uh, alpha defensins as well. And these are key to the intraphagocytic innate immune defenses. When these uh, antimicrobial um, peptides and antimicrobial um, proteins get knocked out, um, then the uh, phagocytes can no longer protect themselves um, from uh, attack by the uh, pathogenic microbiota. The microbiota evades the immune system by blocking DNA transcription by the VDR. It blocks the VDR, which consequently blocks expression of these endogenous antimicrobials. The body cannot produce the antimicrobials because the DNA transcription, the receptor that would do that, um, express those antimicrobials, is, is blocked by the pathogens. The microbiota changes the expression of greater than 913 genes. And those are genes which uh, do everything from uh, create a, a parathyroid hormone precursor right through to uh, create the um, missing and metastasis uh, uh, protein. MTSS1 is the gene, metastasis suppressor number one. All of these genes, the 913 that have already been confirmed, are transcribed by the VDR. The VDR nuclear receptor is a very key nuclear receptor in Homo sapiens. But homeostasis of the other type 1 nuclear receptors is indirectly upset by these pathogens. The VDR, of course, but PXR, the pregnane X receptor, the pregnane xenobiotic receptor, 
the glucocorticoid receptor, thyroid alpha-1 and thyroid beta-1 are all profoundly affected by the elevated levels uh, of uh, um, the secosteroid that are caused by the VDR being knocked out. And uh, obviously note especially the loss of glucocorticoid and thyroid homeostasis leads to the diagnoses of hypothyroidism and adrenal insufficiency. We've demonstrated that both of these are reversible. So why haven't we seen this microbiota before? There has been so much study of pathogens in, in mankind. Well, there are a few reasons. The first one is that the VDR homology, the shape, the, the, the uh, amino acids that go together to make up the VDR, is a little bit different in Homo sapiens to what it is in all of the other mammals uh, and uh, all of the other fish, etc., as well, which have VDR. Um, and it transcribes different genes from the VDR of other mammals. And you know how much of our work we've been doing in animal models? Well, a very key function of uh, the uh, uh, bacteria that have uh, evaded the human immune system uh, do not appear in mammals because the VDR homology is so unique to Homo sapiens. The VDR from the murine and canine genomes, for example, doesn't transcribe cathelicidin or the defensins at all. So a human metagenomic microbiota won't survive if it was transfected into, for example, a mouse, because different species and different mutations would be necessary if the microbiota was to knock out the different gene pathways needed for survival in a mouse. Further, the microbiota is only stable in vivo. It defies extraction using standard techniques. You saw how that cell had disintegrated at about six hours of aging. Uh, you can imagine what it does under centrifuge. Further, most of these species in the uh, bifo microbiota defy extent, uh, defies attempts at in, in vitro culture. This is a study from Dempsey et al., uh, which was a study of a biofilm from prosthetic hip joints, which were removed during revision arthroplasties. And they did uh, gene sequencing and uh, tried to match up the 740 uh, known um, uh, genomes that we have for bacteria against what they found, the DNA that they found in the biofilm. And this is what they found, lysobacter. Lysobacter was about 44% of the clones that were sequenced. Proteobacterium, Methylobacterium, Staphylococcus. Well, Staph is uh, Staph aureus. You would actually expect to find that in a human biofilm. That's not unusual, but its, it's size is small, only about 4.2%. That's unusual. Unidentified clones. But look at this, hydrothermal vent eubacterium. This is a eubacterium that was first located in hydrothermal vents under the ocean, and here it is, its DNA is popping up in man. And at high concentration, 5.1% of the clones that were sequenced, which is higher than Staphylococcus genus. There are some other genus there, you can look up the, the paper and uh, and go into more detail. This is what the Human Microbiome Project is aimed at setting out. Exactly what uh, species, what genes exist in man. Until the genome was cracked, we only had the postulates of Coke as a guide. 
They caused us to search for Koch's singular pathogenic species. We kept looking for one pathogenic species. As a result, you can find a paper that will blame poor old EBV for just about every disease known to man, uh, and CMV and HHV as well. Um, because Koch's singular pathogenic species in, in this age of the, of the genome really means very little. It sidetracks science from understanding horizontal transfer of DNA within the microbiota, sharing of genes between the organisms, which we now know occurs very, very much faster than we ever dreamed could be the case. Science became fixated on the co-infections, those things we could see, like the EBV, um, and uh, missed the primary disease mechanism, the ability of the pathogens to knock out the innate immune system. Another reason is that uh, vitamin D uh, is the primary ligand that activates the VDR receptor. And at some stage during the 20th century, mankind decided that vitamin D was a nutrient. Well, vitamin D is not a nutrient. It's a secosteroid transcriptional activator and its concentrations are very closely controlled by a very uh, complex uh, control system which involves not only the VDR but also the pregnane X receptor, the pregnane xenobiotic receptor, uh, the P300 CBP PKA pathways um, and feedback via a number of enzymes, CYP24, 27, uh, A1, 27B1. There is transrepression from VDR activation, uh, feedback pass, there is transrepression, or actually uh, antagonism, receptor antagonism from the uh, metabolites, and there is also feed-forward pathways. Quite a complex mechanism. If vitamin D was a nutrient, we would see a simple first-order mass-action metabolism. We do not see that. We see the complex control system of a hormone, of a secosteroid transcriptional activator, which is what it is. When we concentrate on the concentration of this um, intermediate uh, substrate, 2,5-hydroxyvitamin D, that's the one that medicine has been measuring as uh, an indication of vitamin D stas status. That is down-regulated in disease. When the VDR is knocked out, the uh, production of the CYP27A1 is downregulated and the production of 2,5-hydroxyvitamin D in the body is downregulated. Downregulation is not deficiency. It is the body regulating the concentration of the metabolite. What is happening is because the VDR is knocked out, no longer can these genes degrade the 125D and the 125D is becoming very high in concentration, affecting the other receptors and so it tries to block the transcription at this path, uh, uh, block the metabolism at this pathway uh, and in so doing down-regulates the level of the thing that we're measuring, thinking that it is a meaningful measure of vitamin D homeostasis. It's not. It's down-regulated in disease. Um, my paper on um, vitamin D discovery outpaces FDA decision-making in bioassays uh, last February is, uh, uh, has contains that uh, diagram and all the associated uh, uh, description. But there's another problem too. Only 1,2,5-dihydroxyvitamin D, the uh, doubly hydroxylated version, can activate VDR transcription, can actually activate to transcribe the genes. 
while vitamin D that we ingest and 2,5-hydroxyvitamin D that is hydroxylated by, from that both inhibit transcription. Here we have uh, in silico data showing how each of these uh, vitamin D metabolites uh, fit into the VDR receptor. And you can see that only one of them has the 1-alpha hydroxylation which is necessary to actually activate the receptor so it transcribes genes and yet all of them occupy similar space inside the VDR and they all have very similar values of KD as well. So if you're giving a lot of vitamin D supplementation, it is actually tending to displace on a concentration dependent basis the active metabolite from the VDR. Well, luckily there is an agonist that works in vivo. It's a, a drug called Olmosartan. Here we have uh, a, a, a molecular dynamics emulation of the human VDR with Olmosartan sitting in the binding pocket in an activated position. As you know, all proteins are in motion at all times. And here we have the same thing in the rat, Rattus novegicus. And, you know, it looks it's a very, very similar VDR and very, very similar ligand. Um, position, but they're not quite the same. And when we put them side by side, you can really see the difference. In particular, look at this tetrazole. The tetrazole ring is a totally different orientation because it's binding to totally different amino acids in the VDR of the rat and the VDR of the human being. It's only by getting down to the level of the molecules that we can really understand the difference between our animal models and our human uh, being. Uh, between animal models and homo sapiens, sorry. <laughs> then once the um, innate immune system has been activated again, uh, we can use very low dose uh, bacteriostatic antibiotics to block protein synthesis. Uh, here I've got uh, azithromycin blocking the 70S ribosome, which uh, translates uh, RNA into, um, uh, into proteins in the uh, bacteria, bacterial organisms, and uh, being blocked by uh, azithromycin. The rate of bacterial death when you're using bacteriostatic antibiotics is controlled by inhibiting the protein synthesis and we can use sub-inhibitory low doses of bacteriostatic antibiotics. Later on, uh, Dr. Blaney will talk a little bit about uh, dosing issues. But just remember that one bacterium is weakened if just one antibiotic molecule is bound into one ribosome because these antibiotics actually block the functioning of protein generation. So intermittent low doses can proportionately control the rate of bacterial death. And that's very fortunate because recovery isn't easy. There's a huge bacterial cellular load. Whether it's 90% of the body or not, I wouldn't know, but it is a huge load. As the intracellular bacteria are killed, some of the infected cells undergo apoptosis, some even disintegrate. The loss of cells, both white and red cells, and the cytokine storm, which is concomitant with that, has to be controlled so it doesn't become life-threatening. The damage is called immunopathology. And people who are seriously ill, carrying a heavy bacterial load, which is it's about every uh, patient with an autoimmune diagnosis, they need to spread the therapy over many years if the immunopathology is to be kept at a tolerable level. You can't just give the patient the antibiotics 
kill the bacteria and send the patient uh, home uh, feeling well. The problem is there are just too many um, uh, bacteria to kill. The load is too high. And just like you have with, uh, um, for example, anthrax, uh, the patient dies from the cytokine storm. Got to be very, very careful. Finally, I want to point out that what we've done is evolutionary. It's not revolutionary. We've built on the work of people like Wirosko, Yehuda, from uh, back uh, over the last couple of decades. Many of you, I'm sure, too, in the audience. Our model, the molecular model of the disease, fits your data. Please uh, seek out my colleagues over the next couple of days talk with us about your uh, uh, data, your uh, studies, especially if you think that our model doesn't stand up to, uh, to uh, scrutiny. We would love to discuss it with you. It does fit your data. And uh, finally, uh, we'll end this uh, presentation contemplating Newton. Thank you. I published a paper back in 2005 um, pointing out that all of the, the small, highly uh, mobile drugs, highly polar drugs, including the stat statins, the sartans, um, they all target multiple receptors um, and not just the receptors which through which they're generally thought to operate. And olmosartan just happens to be one that uh, activates the VDR. Um, it's as simple as that. Its primary target, as it was designed, was as an angiotensin II uh, receptor blocker, which it does a very good job of at quite low dose. But as you uh, make more frequent dosing and increase the dosing, you start to uh, allow it to uh, work on the VDR in a concentration-dependent manner, and it becomes a very effective and safe uh, VDR agonist. Yes, all human beings have the microbiota. Not all of the microbiota becomes pathogenic. Not all of it becomes pathogenic. I mean, in some cases, only those that collect a particular set of genomes that causes the human body to function in a way that's recognised as a disease. For example, we're working at the moment uh, in, in medicine with, with chronic fatigue syndrome, trying to understand what is that. It wasn't a disease uh, a year ago, and now the, um, uh, the CDC has said it is a physiological disease. So, and, and there are many other things that we put down to ageing, particularly diseases of the ageing, periodontal disease, which are in fact directly interrelated with even um, the uh, root cause of, uh, uh, for example, um, lupus or, uh, or, or any of the autoimmune diseases, yes. But it depends on the uh, accumulation of the genomes during the lifetime. 
which pathogens a person is uh, exposed to. Um, some from, uh, for example, um, uh, well, from, from all sources and how they accumulate. Thank you.